0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you, and enjoy. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. So we're going to be looking at a sermon, we're going to call it Two Weeks to Live, looking at this Section of the text, Two Ways to Live, Two Ways to Live, is what we're going to be looking at today. I know he just sat you down, and, uh, but I'm going to stand you right back up and ask you, would you stand and honor the reading of God's Word with me? There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the, coo- the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in the flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in his like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. And in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Father, hide me behind your cross this morning, and help me to preach your word clearly and boldly. And Father, I, I pray have been praying all morning that you would help us to be soft to your word and to your Holy Spirit and that we might turn to you day by day. Father, we confess that we're not the people that you yet want us to be and we confess that you're changing us. So use today's time and our our, our word that we're going to study to make us more like Jesus. In your name we pray and everybody said... Amen. Please be seated. That was the last time that you have to be seated, okay? All right, so let me just fill you in. Um, Let me give you some context. Uh, One of the the things I've learned about studying the Bible is context is king, and so this will help us kind of fill in where we are. The context is in chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Jesus told a, a parable about a dishonest or shrewd manager who, as he found out that he was going to get fired from his position. In desperation, he uses his last minutes of authority to benefit himself afterward, after his position was gone. And Jesus, in that passage, he commended this dishonest manager, not because he was dishonest, but because he used what was temporary to gain something that was lasting. Jesus's point in that parable was this, that money one day will fail. Money will fail. And when I stand before God, what I had on earth, or how much I made, or what I have in my bank account, or what possessions I own, doesn't matter one lick to the Father when I stand before Him in judgment. So, Jesus is telling us in that parable, use money Use possessions to benefit eternity. Don't serve money. Let money serve you. You better own money or money's going to own you. You can't serve both. And then in verses 14 to 18, last week we looked at the Pharisees. They heard this teaching and it struck a nerve with them. And the Pharisees, they ridiculed Jesus and tried to justify themselves before men because they loved money. Some of us find ourselves at times falling into the the camp of the Pharisees because we get a little too attached to possessions. And Jesus reminded them that God knows their hearts. And that was not an encouragement like we use that as an encouragement. Oh, bless his heart. God knows his heart. He's got a good heart. In this passage, it was used as a, oh me, look out. It's not amen, but oh me. That God knows all the wickedness of my heart And he warns them that God knows their hearts. God gave them the law and the prophets to warn them, and now the gospel to save them. But not one bit of that law would become void. Heaven and earth would pass away before one dot of the law would pass away. And now, in the passage that we're coming to, Jesus is going to give them an illustration of the truth that he just taught them. An illustration. It's a parable, it's a warning. And we're going to talk about two ways to live. So in verse 19, we find out there was a rich man. So there are two ways to live. There's the rich man, and this is what it says about the rich man. He was clothed in purple. Now, purple was fancy. It was fine. Purple was nice. It was expensive. It came from a snail or a mussel shell. And so to get purple clothing took a, a lot of resources to get it. And this man was clothed in purple. And then it says, in fine linen. That linen refers to undergarments. Now, you know a man is wealthy when he's got fine underpants on. That's a whole new level of wealth right there. When Jesus mentions your undergarments, it says, he feasted sumptuously every day. All right, so there are three phrases he feasted. And then the feast is described as sumptuously. That's such a fancy word, right? Sumptuously. That's, that's at the end of uh, a dinner. When you sit down, and you put on your stretchy pants and you get on the couch and you go from a vertical position to a horizontal position. That is the definition of sumptuously. But he didn't do it occasionally. He didn't do it on special occasions. He did it every day. He feasted sumptuously every every day, clothed in purple and nice underwear. And verse 20 says gives another way. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Here's what's interesting about this parable. This is the only parable in all of Jesus' parables where the, the main character of the parable is given a name. Lazarus comes from the the um, Hebrew name Eliezer and it means God helps. And so what you see is there's Lazarus. He's a poor man and he's covered with sores. Verse twenty one it says he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Somehow, some way, he was laid at the rich man's gate, and he could see down the little corridor, into the, the room where the feasting happened, and he could see, he could smell, he could sense, he could even taste it. How the rich man feasted. It says that he was in such a depraved state or a, a, a bad state that even the dogs came and licked his sores. There are two ways to live here in this passage. One, you have a picture of a man who has no regard for God, his law, or others. And then you've got Lazarus, whom God helps. I want you to understand that the rich man was aware of Lazarus. He was aware. And we get that from two things. Number one is because Lazarus was aware of the rich man's table. I'm sure that since the poor man Lazarus was at the rich man's gate, that that rich man had to walk past the poor man Lazarus day by day. But also in verse 24, if you'll look down, he called out in Hades, the rich man calls out and he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. He knew him by name. He calls out to Father Abraham, send Lazarus to come and have mercy on me. He was aware of Lazarus. But I need you to understand that even though he was aware of him, he paid no attention to him. He turned a a blind eye to Lazarus. He turned a hard heart to Lazarus. And and can we just be real? Isn't it easy to do that in our world? Okay, there's poverty all around us. You and I, we drive past poverty every day. We might even see a homeless person on the street. We see somebody who has a financial need and there's something in our hearts that happens when we see that person. And it's normally one of two things. In that moment, we're either stirred up with compassion and pity and we help, or we do what the rich man did and we turn a blind eye and a hard heart to a need that we see. I want to ask you a question. Have you become blind to the need around you? Am I, am I blind to the poor? When you see a homeless person, you're driving down the road, you see a homeless person, what are the thoughts that go through your mind? He just needs to get a job. Freeloading. Got to be drugs or alcohol. And immediately, there's something that happens in our lives. And what Jesus is warning us of is... The way that we look at the poor in our world reveals something about the nature of our heart. Not only are there two lives we see, there are two deaths. And I want you to notice that even in death they're different. It says in verse 22, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was what? Buried. I want you to note that likely Lazarus didn't have a burial. He's just thrown out. But the rich man had a burial. There was a a service for the rich man, but not necessarily for Lazarus. But I I want you to understand something, that death in the eyes of God, death is the great equalizer. It's coming for each and every one of us, and as much money as we have or don't have isn't going to keep us from death. We can can come up with solutions to sickness, but we can't ever stop ourselves from dying. Not only are there two lives and two deaths, but there are two destinations. Two destinations. The Lazarus, it says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, I want you to understand something about Abraham's side. Abraham's bosom is to be under understood as the place of the righteous dead. The righteous dead, okay? In this passage, the righteous dead is it's the place where they go. And according to the Scriptures, I understand it to be the place where maybe Old Testament saints who look forward in faith that the coming Messiah would have gone. They trusted in God's promises, and it was counted to them as righteousness, just like Father Abraham. It was a place of comfort. It was a place of joy. It was a place of rest. It was a place where they were ministered to. I love what it, how it describes it, that he was carried there by angels to the very bosom of Abraham. Now, that's a weird word. I was, we were in our Sunday school class, and one of our um, uh, college Sunday school uh, folks is, is from another country. And when I said bosom, he said, bosom? I said, bosom means side. It means close to one's heart. He said, that's not what I thought it meant. (laughs) I want you to understand that Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, is a place that's not necessary. I'm I'm not sure if we get our theology from this parable. I don't know if that's wise, but if it's True, it's not necessary today because Jesus the Messiah has been revealed and those who trust in God's promised Messiah are with God in heaven today. And then there's a second place, it's Hades. The rich man went to Hades. This is what it says in verse 23, And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. Understand that Hades was the, the place of the unrighteous dead. It's a, a place of torment, a place of anguish, a place of punishment. I mean, he even says, I want him to dip the, his, just the tip of his finger in cool water and come and quench my thirst because I'm in anguish over here. I want you to understand something. This is not purgatory. There's a teaching inside some um, areas of the church. They talk about purgatory. I don't find that in the Scriptures. This is not purgatory. Purgatory says it's a place of punishment where you go to work off your sins and then you get into heaven. You can work your way out. I find that nowhere in the Scripture. And even in this passage, you see that not to be true because there was nothing that this rich man could do to get to Abraham's side, the place of the righteous. Righteous. He could do nothing once there to get into heaven. See, Hades is a temporary place of torment that will be dealt with at the final judgment of God. If you've got it up on the screen, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, or 11 through 15, says this. Then I saw a great white throne... And him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in them according to what they had done. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 14 says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, that is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So I want you to understand that even the book of Revelation talks about Hades. It's a Uh, a temporary holding place of the unrighteous dead that one day Hades and the inhabitants of Hades will stand before the great white throne of judgment to be held accountable for their deeds and their names will not be found written in the Lamb's book of life and that person will be thrown into the second lake of fire. I want just a few notes here on Rich man, Lazarus, you got two ways to live, you got two deaths, and you've got two destinations. I want you to note something, okay? Jesus is not saying that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. Okay? So don't there there's a theology that if you're poor, you're righteous. That's not exactly true. And there's a, a theology that would say the opposite: that if you're rich, you're unrighteous. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is revealing is the difficulty that riches will bring upon the souls of those who have trusted in riches. Money is not evil, but as the scriptures say, the love of money is a a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. And what do we read in Luke chapter 16? The Pharisees were lovers of money. Do you see it? Is that making sense? I need you to make sure that you're with me. Jesus told a lot of stories in Luke about money. Lots of stuff about money. Money makes us uncomfortable when preachers talk about money. I'm not asking for your money, by the way. God doesn't need your money. Seneca Baptist Church is going to be okay without your money. But let me tell you something. I need you to understand that giving is not for God. If God were to need our money... He would cease being God in that very moment. God doesn't want your money because He's lacking. God wants freedom for you. Because oftentimes, money enslaves us. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 8. He talks about how the seed of the gospel is sown into our hearts, but it can be choked, in quotes, choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Jesus warned in Luke 12 how we should take care and be on guard against all covetousness and how the fool lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God and that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus warned that money and possessions can keep people from receiving the invitation into the wedding feast. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, It's through the craving to be rich that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do You see, over and over and over, Jesus warns us, you and me, that... The trusting in riches might just entangle our souls. Riches don't keep us out of heaven. Riches themselves don't keep us out of heaven, but money has a way of entangling our heart and keeping us from trusting in Christ. It makes us feel self-sufficient. I got money stored up. I want you to understand that how we talk about money, how we view money, how we think about money, and what we do with our money reveals our hearts. I, I can't remember who said this, but somebody once said that um, every person can write an autobiography with their checkbook. I can tell you exactly what's valuable to you if you'll let me look at how you spend your money. I want to ask you a couple questions just between you and the Lord, but because I love you and because I want to shepherd you, I want to ask a few questions. I want you to ask yourself do I own money or does money own me? I mean, what I mean is when you get a paycheck or you get that check in the mail, or whatever it is, does it bring you a joy that you don't find when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ? When you get that check in the mail, do you say, oh, now I can go buy the thing, because when I get the thing, I'll finally be happy. I'll be satisfied. Then I'll have enough. And you've probably heard it said like me, when will you have enough? Not yet. You'll never have enough. What is the thing? What is the amount that you say, if I just get to that amount, I'll be okay? Has money ever kept you from trusting God for his provision? Or trusting Jesus for your salvation? Where is your treasure? What is the thing in your life that if that thing or that person in your life were no longer in your life that you're your reason for living would be gone do i steward god's money in such a way to serve god's kingdom purposes have i been generous in such a way that with what's been entrusted to me that i've made a difference in somebody's life that will last into eternity So I just need you to know that money doesn't keep you out, but Jesus is giving us a warning that money can entangle our hearts. Then there are two requests from, from the rich man in Hades. Look at verse 24. He called out, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. He said, send Lazarus. Just to dip his finger and cool my tongue because I am burning over here. I want you to understand that the rich man experiences in Hades, he experiences discomfort and torment. He experiences that discomfort and that torment that Lazarus had experienced his entire life. And in that moment, the rich man says, come help me, have mercy on me. Listen to the irony here. I want Lazarus to do something for me now that I was unwilling to do for Lazarus all the days of my life. I want the mercy of God shown to me now even though I was unwilling to show mercy to others throughout my days. Isn't that ironic? I'll put it another way. Maybe you've said, God, I wish you would just get them for their sin. I know that they sinned, and I wish you would just zap those people, that whatever group those people are, I wish you would just sick them, Lord. We all want justice and judgment until it comes to me, and then I want mercy. And in the same way, the rich man was unwilling to show mercy his entire life to this poor man laid right before him, but then when the tables are turned, when the script is reversed, guess what the rich man wants? He wants Lazarus to do his bidding so that he might be eased from discomfort. He still sees himself as superior to Lazarus. But Abraham responds in verse 25, he said, child, Remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and, and you are in anguish. There is a reversal. You trusted in riches and were not generous. And his trust was in the one who would help him, God who would help him. And now the tables are reversed. And he says, besides all this, verse 26... Between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. I want you to understand that heaven and hell are eternal destinations. There's no crossing over. And I've heard people say foolishness like, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Hell has the best barbecues. Well, sure, do. Problem is, it's going to be me on the pit. So, his first request is Would you please have Lazarus show mercy on me? And Abraham says, The time for mercy is past. I need you to understand, church family, that there is a time for mercy, and then there's a time when the mercy is past. Let me tell you, today, God's mercy is available to you. God's grace is available to you. And if you will reach out to Him and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Guess what God will do? God will reach down in mercy and save you. But there's a time when God's mercy will be no more. It's a time, there will be a time when God will say, Enough's enough. Enough. The time has come, judgment has been rendered, and there's no turning back from that moment. Then he says, okay, well, if you're not going to save me, if you're not going to have mercy on me, Father Abraham, i got five brothers at home, and they have the same lifestyle that I do, so would you please send Lazarus to my five brothers and and warn them so they don't end up in the same place that I am? That would be horrible. Save them. And I want you to listen to Abraham's response in verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, Moses and the prophets warned people of trusting money and warned people about true religion that that true religion would share with the needy. How God didn't want feasting or fasting in his name. He didn't want offerings in his name, but what he wanted was justice in his name. He said, if they're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, who I told you to take care of the poor among you, why are they going to listen to Lazarus? Well, surely if somebody is raised from the dead, they'll listen to him, right? Surely all won't listen to the one who's been raised from the dead. You know how I know that? Because there are people, and this is prophetic in a sense, because there are people who still reject the the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. They've not heard Him. They've not heard His warning and turned to Him. The problem isn't that no one has told them. The problem is that they have a hard and unrepentant heart. They have closed their eyes to the poor because they've closed their ears to Moses and the prophets. When anybody closes their ears to God's word, God will turn them over to a hard heart. God will give them exactly what they want. And if they won't believe what is clearly written, guess what, guys? They're not going to believe it when a miracle happens. Jesus is warning us of something. Here's what I I want you to hear, church family. Number one, heaven and hell are real. Heaven and hell are real. It's not a metaphorical thing to scare you into living a good life. Heaven and hell are real destinations. Jesus talks about them a lot. The Old Testament talks about uh, Sheol, this place of suffering. And it talks about How they can be in God's presence. Talks about this place where God resides. That we can be in this place apart from God. I want you to know that punishment is coming to those who have not trusted in the promises of Jesus the Messiah. And rewards are coming to those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation and forgiveness. If you're rich without Jesus, the temporary pleasures of this world are as close to heaven as you'll ever get. But if you're poor in this world, yet you have Jesus, the troubles and sufferings of this world are as close to hell as you're ever going to get. it all hinges not on what do I do with my money, but what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with God's promise of a Savior? What do I do with my heart in response to what God has done to save me? When I respond positively to what God has done to save me, guess what? My money's going to follow my heart. Your financial generosity to God's church and to others is a reflection of your heart's spiritual reality. Now, here's what I don't mean. Well, I give to the church sometimes. I mean, I I give some to the church sometimes. I give a portion sometimes. I give a little here and there. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, I give in such a way that God is honored. I give in such a way that my generosity reveals that my trust is in God and that greed has no place in me as a child of God. When I trust Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, my view of possessions will change. When Jesus saves my heart, guess what? He's going to save my pocketbook too. Now, I, need, I want to speak just bluntly. Remember, Seneca Baptist is not pleading for your money. By God's grace, we have exceeded budget this first quarter. God is blessing Seneca Baptist incredibly this first quarter. We exceeded budget last year for the first time in like a decade God is blessing His church. Money is not our issue at Seneca Baptist Church. God has given us everything we need financially to be successful. So I, don't, I need you to hear, I'm not begging and pleading for your money. We had a, a $7,500 missions goal, and we took up $26,000. God is providing. So, okay, listen to me. But some of us, we live in such a way that God is the author of my salvation. That I want Him to be the Lord over my eternity. Yet I don't want Him to be the Lord over my finances. That's different. It's not. It's not. And, and some of us we're we're in we're in debt be, not and we're in debt because we don't honor the Lord with how we steward what He's given us. And we're we're not, you may may have said before, man, I wish I could give to that, but I can't. Well, that's not exactly true. You're in the position that you are sometimes because you've not honored the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth. In in giving, generosity is a spiritual discipline that sets my soul free from the tight grip that money sometimes has on it. I say discipline because it's not one of those things you can do here and you can do there. It is a discipline. We do it regularly. We do it systematically. We do it generously. Why? Because I have to constantly discipline my heart that says, No, money's not my Savior. Jesus is. Money's not my trust, Jesus is. Money's not my treasure, Jesus is. And that, that is not a one and done kind of thing. And I want you to know, maybe you're in here and you're on the road of struggling through that. I want you to know that Seneca Baptist has people who have taught financial freedom classes. And they would love to help you learn what it means to honor the Lord with your finances. And so if you want to talk to me about that, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to talk to you. But it's, it's a spiritual discipline intended to break the chains of greed in my heart and idolatry in my life. It's an ongoing work that God is using generosity to make me more like Jesus. Okay, the last thing I want you to hear today. In this story, we like to say, well, I'm the poor guy in the story. I'm the one without much money in the story. But I, if you're sitting here today, that's probably not true of us. We all think we're poor in comparison to Bill Gates or Elon Musk or whoever the person is, right? We're poor compared to. But on the other hand, we are rich compared to. Almost the entire planet. God has given us such incredible blessings and wealth. But guess what? There's a way that you and I can live as rich people And we are, by God's grace, and God's grace alone, there's a way that we can live as rich people to honor the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, I think it'll be on the screen, says this, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty. So number one, don't let your riches get to your head, keep it in your back pocket. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't let it get into your head, nor let it get into your heart. Your hopes. My hope is in heaven, guys. Not in what I got in my pocketbook. He says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Lots of people have won the lottery one year and found themselves bankrupt a few years later. but but on God. Set our hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. Listen, to be rich in good works. God's saying, if you want to be rich in something, be rich in good works. He says, to be generous and to be ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I can can live in the way of the rich man setting my hopes on things that are temporary and be found lacking when I stand before the Lord or I can live in such a way that I set my hopes on Jesus the Messiah and I'm generous with the stuff and I can be rich toward God. I know what I want to be. I know what I'm not yet. last thing I want you to hear today. Last thing. You're being warned through God's Word and through this preacher. You're being warned. If you're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, you're not going to listen to Jesus who was raised from the dead, be warned. Your heart might be hard. And don't continue in that path. But you, like me, can, we can own our sin before God, and we can receive mercy and grace. Would you stand with me as we respond to the Lord? We're going to sing in just a moment. Tom, Miss Margaret, Miss Sarah, would you come lead us? I don't know what the Lord might be saying to you, what area of your life He might be speaking into but man, this, this sermon has everything to do with us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for guests. Thank you for those folks that have, are walking with us for the first day ever. And we just ask, Lord, for them. Um, money sermons are a weird time for people to come into the church. And so if this is their first time, Lord, would, would they be encouraged even if they're challenged? Father, for us, um, for us who have been members of Seneca Baptist for a while, for those who are family here, would you remind us that you are on a journey to change our hearts, to change our minds, to change our actions and our lives, that everything about us might resemble and reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's hurting and dying. And I know you're not done with me. So Lord, I want to confess to you that I fall short in this, I struggle it, with finances hitting my head and my heart, and Lord, I just want to be made more like Jesus. Make me generous, who gives a person who gives, as uh, Acts chapter twenty says that Jesus says is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to be that, but I don't always live that. Father, break the chains of bondage and slavery, and the 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 way that brambles will choke out a a flower. Lord, I don't want the seed of my faith to be choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of the world. But I want to be, Father, I pray that you'd make us a people who are rich toward God, generous and rich in good works. Father, please do that. Father, there might be some here today who need your mercy for the first time. And I pray that they would understand their need for a Savior as their sinners. And I pray that Those people would reach out in faith to Christ and they would experience the greatest riches of mercy ever shown to man. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And now help us to respond to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to be.